0: Barheads. Father, thank you so much once again for this privilege, this honor, this grace gift called now. Father, thank you for always keeping our perspective straight on the things that matter most in this world. Father, we get lost, we get confused, we fail, we fall, but you're so faithful to us. So you pick us back up, Father, by grace mercy and love Father we pray for those that can't be with us this evening and we pray for those that are still lost it's never too late the thief on the cross proves this to us Father we're just so thankful and grateful to you for your patience we are most grateful and thankful of course for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a reality for all of us to enjoy. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 8, Sunday's Christmas special message was um, solemn, but wonderfully placed solemn but wonderfully placed i know that for some of those who heard it um, it may not have been what they expected but all i can say is that these are the spirit's messages and because of this one fundamental truth they are perfectly timed and perfectly placed so if you heard it it was for you it was perfectly timed perfectly placed in your soul Whoever heard Sunday's message needed, needed to hear it, even if it, quote-unquote, spoiled their mood, so to speak. I believe that with proper perspective, joy would abound all the more in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Christmas. Why? Because truth always sets us free john 8:32, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free doesn't matter the um, temperature of the message or the um, the nature of it even we have to trust in the lord and his spirit to build us up and do what's right and give us perfectly placed messages and it's all truth and therefore there's freedom in it and that's how we look at uh, such messages You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And also, so the the truth always sets us free. Uh, John 8, 32, um, the truth always sanctifies us. We know that from John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And also, because Jesus Christ, the very meaning for Christmas is the embodiment of truth. John 1 part B grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ so we got a whole lot of truth on Sunday morning as our special Christmas message um, and sometimes the truth is solemn and sometimes the truth just makes us reflect uh, in ways that we're not necessarily you know, smiling. Um, but I believe that the Bible teaches us that that's what brings us to true joy. That's what brings us to true joy, truth. And on this point on the board, um, First uh, John one seventeen, part B, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ, just for a little added clarity. It's from the Greek word ginomai. Realized means to come into being to be born, become, come about, happen. So grace and truth were born, come into being, uh, in the flesh even, through Jesus Christ, says Holy Scripture. So we have this three, these three elements, if you would. Again, I believe that with proper perspective. Joy abounds all the more in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Christmas, the truth sets us free, it sanctifies us, and is realized through Jesus Christ so when we are given a somewhat let's call it unexpected message like Sunday's a message that undoubtedly was filled with truth we know that the end results freedom sanctification realization are fruit of the Spirit in our congregation Now, with that said, there are a few key principles from that message worth reiterating here, especially since it most certainly was not disjoint with our mainstream studies here with the deceitfulness of sin. For starters, go to Psalm 73.21. Psalm 73.21. I love how the Spirit does that every time. Sort of um, dovetails special messages with the messages coming from the pulpit. Psalm 73.21, this Christmas was no different. Psalm 73.21, when my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you you have taken hold of my right hand. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. And so we were given this principle up here on the board, the dichotomy of Psalm 73, 22-23, in order to see it all as truth uh, relative to Ephesians 5. We must fully recognize and accept all influences in our lives. Our emotions may range from being embittered and senseless to walking with the Lord and everything in between. You know, there's nothing wrong with emotions so long as we have a grip on them, righteously judging them. For instance, Christmas time, It's a wonderful time to rejoice in a lot of things. Maybe you smiled a lot. Uh, Maybe you were solemn for a little while after, say, Sunday's message. Maybe you were solemn the whole of Christmas this season because you had a lot to think about. Um, There was deceit or the deceitfulness of sin in your life. And the season itself precipitated it in your life for you to see. And to realize, I don't know, the idea is the first phrase up there, to see it all as truth. It doesn't matter. We just want to know the truth about the situation, whatever it may be in our lives. And it's okay to have emotions that range uh, in a polar way um, from admitted and senseless to walking with the Lord and anything in between. It's okay to have that Go on in your soul. There's nothing wrong with emotions as long as they are uh, properly placed and as long as you have a grip on them. The first of the two reference passages including Paul's or included Paul's disciples uh, who were trying to keep him from fulfilling what he was convinced he needed to do, which was go to hostile Jerusalem. Go to Acts 21.13. We'll just cover this again quickly. Acts 21. 13 <clears throat> Acts 21:13. It's <clears throat> so all we want is to see it all as truth. Verse 13, then Paul answered, "What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready, not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. So you see Paul expressing emotion there. Nothing wrong with it. He said, You're breaking my heart. I'm trying to do the will of the Lord. You're breaking my heart. They finally seated and said, The will of the Lord be done. The second reference passage was regarding Jesus, who not only is called the realization of grace and truth, but also the light of men, meaning the truth shines light in the hearts of men, helping us to judge righteously. Go to John 1 4. John 1 verse 4. Again, we're just amplifying the point that there's nothing wrong with emotions as long as they're properly placed. John 1.4, and as long as we're judging things rightly, emotions are good. God can certainly use them to motivate us. John 1.4, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Again, all of that was a review of the point on the board. In order to see it all as truth, we must fully recognize and accept all influences in our lives. Our emotions may range from being embittered and senseless to walking with the Lord and everything in between. There's nothing wrong with emotions so long as we have a grip on them, righteously judging them. This past week's blog was titled, My Struggle with Disdain, Um And obviously there are emotions involved when you're talking about disdain or contempt or malcontent with certain things. There's always this anger percolating at the top of things and indignant, um, righteous indignation, if you would, um, that can get out of control. And that's the struggle that I shared with you all, my struggle with disdain. And there's that dichotomy, you know, sometimes I feel like that wild beast, you know, when I'm goofing around, you guys laugh at me, I feel like I'm a punch, I feel like it's punching somebody in the throat. It's not exactly Christ-like. But that's what I feel like, that's when my anger is so close to the, to the surface that I want to, but he never lets me. And so there's always that dichotomy, if you would, and that's Psalm 73, 22 to 23. And so the, the blog, again, as, a, as another element of grace from this ministry obviously dovetailed perfectly into the messages as well so again the past week's blog was titled my struggle with disdain which really spoke to the pain that a person feels when surrounded by individuals openly celebrating ungodliness christmas is a perfect example openly celebrating ungodliness that makes me angry it gets me kind of fired up because it feels like a you know a spit in the face of Jesus Christ himself this is a particularly difficult pill to swallow when said individuals are supposedly Christians that's an even harder pill to swallow you say you're a Christian but this is what you're celebrating that's a harder pill to swallow And my, you know, proverbial fist clenches tighter. And so this is what I shared with you this past week up here in the board of Shepherds Lament. When sheep are stuck in the thicket, especially those who should know better, a shepherd's first response is indignation. His second response is actually what is behind both the first and the second. That is love. After his anger subsides, His heart breaks, and so there's this cycle. There's this cycle. Indignation, love, broken heart. Indignation, love, broken heart. Um, Of course we go fetch individuals out of the thicket, but it's heartbreaking after a while. It's heartbreaking to see certain people even in the thicket who should know better. Now, we can't speak for God directly, But we know that these types of, we'll call them, this is the theological term, you don't have to remember, anthropopathisms, which just really means human emotions attributed to God. We can't speak for them, but we know that these types of anthropopathisms certainly exist in the Godhead. Does God get indignant? You bet. Does he love? You bet. Does his heart break? You bet it does. Think about that. These anthropopathisms, I can't speak for God strictly how those things happen, but those human emotions, those feelings God expresses in the Bible. So this is not out of check, in other words. If you have these same same emotions that, say, a shepherd like I have, then you're not out of whack. Be encouraged. It's okay. As long as your emotions are in check with Scripture. This reality exists against the other obvious reality that is described in Romans 5, 6. Go to Romans 5, 6. (coughs) Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Up here on the board. God demonstrates His own love. At our very worst, God loved us. May we possess the same love towards others this Christmas, even though these same people break our hearts. May we possess the same love this, Christ- this Christmas towards others, even though these same people break our hearts. And so there's always a balanced equation. You might want to, you might feel like you want to throttle somebody, but you don't. You love them. You understand that they're in, they're weak. Do you understand? They're weak. When people are celebrating something ungodly, and they call themselves Christians, they're deceived by sin, and therefore they are in a, a very much weakened state. If they're even saved at all, that requires a merciful type attitude on our behalf, so that we can deal with them in love. Jesus Christ, the God-man, is our great shepherd, so says Hebrews 13, 20, which means that he loved us with the same love that the Father had when he put together his plan for salvation. And while he was doing this, he would have also known about and then personally felt in his incarnation the indignation, love, and broken heart. All of this and Sunday's precious message is succinctly succinctly encapsulated in one short verse up here on the board. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. We love. We have the ability to love. We have Christ-like love in us. Why? Because he first loved us. I gave you McDonald on that up here on the board. Such wonderful love draws our hearts out to Him in return. We say, you have bled and died for me. From now on, I will live for you. Again, First John 4.19 was sort of the capstone of Sunday's message. And I was reflecting upon this, and you should too. Like many such messages, we have to trudge through painful landscapes. Of seeing it all as truth. I mean it's not easy. Sunday's message is not the easiest message to receive, certainly not to give, certainly not to prepare for, trust you me. But it's not easy to to receive. There's a certain level of suffering involved and pain involved because when the lights turn on, you might look in the mirror and say, That's me. I'm doing that thing. I'm celebrating ungod in an ungodly way. I'm celebrating ungodliness. Or you might look at loved ones and say, they are. And now there's a friction, if you would, or an indignation in your soul. So like many such messages, we have to trudge through a painful landscape of seeing it all as truth before we get to the freeing truth of 1 John 4.19. I think a lot of people find it difficult to shred all the so-called Christmas spirit That seems to be the tag word nowadays. You know, the Christmas spirit, the spirit of giving, and (laughs) all this stuff. I think a lot of people find it difficult to shred all of that in order to approach a message like Sunday. And so, and I'm talking about even guys that stand behind pulpits. I think a lot of people struggle with that. And so the spirits will is thwarted, left on the shelf, so to speak, right next to all the, you know, elves on the shelves. That's tongue-in-cheek, by the way. I don't know if some of you don't know about that stuff, some of you don't have kids. Uh, We didn't have that as a kid, but it's not just Santa now, it's elves on shelves. And what they do, and they do this in schools, by the way. They put these little elves, and they're supposed to be Santa's helpers, you know, he knows what you are, you know he knows when you've been bad or good and and people do it in their homes and these little elves move at night and they're supposed to be watching the children elves and elves on shelves that's the new thing Santa's helpers cuz you're supposed to be good you know nice nothing like a little religion right the heck does that have to do with Jesus Christ? Absolutely nothing. That's the whole point. So therein lies the connective tissue. Back to our primary course of study, the deceitfulness of sin. Suppose you are an actual believer and you're tied up and wrapped up into all of that garbage. Santa, elves shelves, elves on shelves, or whatever the heck it is. The the whole thing. What if you're wrapped up in that thing? You're deceived. That's the point of a Sunday message or last week's blog. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? What What are people that aren't deceived? How do we, like, approach that? Do we just let indignation run wild and punch people in the throat? No. Do we scream and yell at people in department stores? No. What do we do? We love them. We love them we bring them the truth what are we going to do after that and you know hopefully our hearts don't break so bad that we're crippled Uh, God doesn't let that happen but nonetheless there's the connective tissue back to our primary course of study the deceitfulness of sin remember the emphasis in this series has been on deceitfulness the deceitfulness part one major area of deceit is found in our own souls whenever we judge wrongly. This came out, I think it was last Tuesday, up here on the board. When we judge wrongly, we are being deceived by sin. I think the point of the board will force a lot of people to take pause because as true as it is, it isn't the way we normally think about judging. When we judge wrongly, we are being deceived by sin. How often do you think of judging wrongly that way as a fruit of sin, of, of, of the deceptiveness, of the deceitfulness, if you would, of sin. As we noted in very clear detail, the area of judging that Jesus truly made a point of publicly exposing was hypocrisy, which has an awful lot to do with wrong judging. Hypocrisy. Jesus had no tolerance for folks He used what could be a reasonably righteous standard of measure on everyone else, but not themselves. He had a problem with that. He had a problem with that. A real big problem. I guess what we see is that rule number one with judging is that we use his standard of measure, the word of truth, objectively. That was his big thing. He knew. He knew that none of the people he came in contact with knew the law perfectly. Nobody. I don't care what they said. None of us know. Do you know everything in this book? Todd's laughing, right? Of course not, right? So how can he hold that? That's actually a different issue altogether. What he's saying is, I hold you responsible to whom much is given, much is required. That whole stream. I hold you responsible to the things that you know to be true. And I want you to function with integrity. If you know something's true, if it's it's been on your heart, you've been convicted of it, through Holy Scripture, you know it's true, then I want you to function objectively. Up here on the board. Objectivity exists in the absence of partiality. In the absence of partiality. So in other words... We cannot make special rules for those we love. And who do we love more than ourselves? Isn't that what we do? We make special rules for those we love, starting with ourselves. Who love themselves more than the Pharisees? Nobody. They love themselves more than anybody. Who do they make special provision for? Themselves. Who do you make special provision for? yourself, and maybe loved ones, maybe it's family members. I see this with parents all the time. It's incredible. The lack of integrity that exists. Do I understand it? Yeah, I get it. But still, nonetheless, by default it's called a lack of integrity. If this is the standard and your kid doesn't make it, then that's it. He doesn't get a trophy. Not everybody gets a trophy. Contrary to popular belief now. We do grave damage to our children by treating them with partiality. They grow up entitled. They grow up as brats. They grow up stark, I don't know, what's the right word? Stunned that the world says, that's not happening. (laughs) Right? You push them out, and you're supposed to, you know, they're supposed to fly when you push them out of the nest, right? Most kids nowadays go whoop, and they fall on the ground for 10, 20, 30 years. Why? Because the parents didn't do anything for them except ill-equip them for reality. Partiality. No place with objectivity. We cannot make special rules for those we love, including ourselves. Jesus, not Pastor Ed, this is not some tirade from the pulpit. I'm not cranky from too much eggnog. This, honest to goodness, this is what Jesus had a problem with. He despised hypocrisy. despised it do you understand if you look at scripture and you look at how his his anger his own indignation it's greater at least what's recorded from what i understand from holy scripture it's greater towards hypocrisy than it is even towards ignorance you can teach somebody that's ignorant right you can say hey you know but what happens when someone's in the know and they're a, they're a hypocrite Wait a minute, you should know better when you're acting like this? Yeah, he had a huge problem with that. Up here on the board. Luke eleven forty six 46, and the expanded. Jesus answered, How terrible for, woe to you, you experts on the law, you make strict rules that are very hard for people to obey, burden people with burdens hard to carry, but you yourselves don't even try to follow those rules or lift the finger to ease the burden. Jesus had a big problem with this stuff. He was a patient guy. He would teach you. You don't know what I'm talking about? Sit down I'll teach you. You know what I'm talking about, and and you're still acting like this? I have a problem with you. And that's some of us, isn't it? Isn't it some of us? Some of us know exactly what He wants out of our lives. And what do we do? Every chance we get, we disobey him. And then every chance we get, we cover up our tracks and we say, but I love me, and I love this other person, so we're going to ask God to make a special exception. And what would Jesus say about that little antic of yours? Same thing he's saying in verse 46. He's like, what are you doing? You're a hypocrite. Woe to you. I hate that. At least have integrity. Right? Right? It's the same guy who knew you were going to fail, went to the cross knowing. He knows you're going to fail tonight, tomorrow, the day after. He knew all that. His problem was with hypocrisy. Think about it. Religion plants all kinds of unrighteous seeds of deceit. I remember being a kid in religion and saying to myself, this doesn't make sense. Anybody ever been there? Literally, I remember sitting there going, okay, what you guys are telling me, I know you're the grown-ups, what you're telling me, it just doesn't even make, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. You know, it just doesn't seem to add up in my soul. And then, you know, I'd look around at all the pews that were filled on Easter and Christmas and say, well, I'm just a little kid. And all these well-dressed adults are telling me this is good. So I guess I'll just put my own convictions away. You know, I'm just a little, I don't know, maybe I don't see, I just don't know. I don't know. And you know what? Eventually, the sin that surrounded me wore me down. And for years, until almost, I was almost 30 years old, what was actually good you know that conviction like something's not right was suppressed. It was suppressed. It was pushed down. So here's what the Spirit has to say on that. Do not be fooled. Do not believe that deceitfulness is anything less than an erosive process. In some ways, I started off, you know, with the faith of a child. And I said, you know, this doesn't make... Something's not adding up. And sin itself like, surrounded me and, and, and beat me down and beat my spirit into submission almost to where I just gave up. I said, it doesn't make sense. Maybe this whole God thing doesn't make sense. Do not believe that deceitfulness is anything less than an erosive process. It is very subtle and may depend upon years of baby steps towards evil in order to ultimately meet its goal. I see that happening all the time in religious households. Children being uh, groomed um, groomed into lies up here on the board. As soon as we lose sight of the fact that sin has a long-term strategy in our lives, not just short-term tactics like, you know, hey, you should do this or that right now. We are subject to the wiles of sin and arrogance, supposing that everything is just fine. No, 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 no. Sin is much more insidious than just short-term, you know, failures. Oh, you know, I've failed. No, sin by nature is very happy with a very long strategy, very long-term erosive strategy. Wear you down. Wear you down. The only thing that can pick you up out of the doldrums of that mess, is this. It's the only thing. My job (laughs) is to use this to to encourage you to go back to this. That's my job. I'm just a tour guide. Sin doesn't want you to know that. I've had many conversations with people who are still lost, but say things boldly like I'm totally capable of reading my Bible so I don't need to listen to a pastor like you and maybe they are saved only God knows it's not my call because salvation implies here's the logic, salvation implies that they have the baseline faculties, you know, ears to hear eyes to see To borrow from Jesus. And yet, and yet, they remain confused because they live in a lie. Things like, you know, spiritual gifts like mine aren't critical to the health of the body of Christ. That's a lie. There's a reason why this spirit, and this is not edifying me, it's not about Ed Collins, trust me. There's a reason why the spiritual gift of pastor, teacher, of shepherd, of poimano, exists. It's because you're sheep and you're dumb and you need guidance. That's not, you know, I don't know if that's like a revelation for you and you should be insulted. You shouldn't be insulted. I'm a sheep too. Nobody should be insulted by that. You should be set free because you know that angst you have, like, you know, you fight it. I'm my own man or I'm my own woman. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I can read my own Bible. And in that posture is stress in itself because it's unnatural to God. It's not right with God. And so taking that posture, doing that thing, is suppressing the truth, which takes energy, which means you're arm wrestling with God. Not a good idea. If God says, hey, I gave you these spiritual gifts to build you up, to edify you, and you deny them, you are going to be stressed out and that's what I see in in, in you know Christian circles I ask most people around here what do you hey what religion I'm a Christian or, or Catholic one of those two right I'm a Christian or a Catholic, one of those two it always comes up I'm that really why are you so wigged out why is your, why is your soul so stressed out about Christmas? I just taught the most solemn Christmas message maybe I've ever taught and I'm free as a kite. You don't do anything. You supposedly read your Bible. You go to some ridiculous church maybe on Christmas and Easter and you're all wigged out. Up here on the board, thwarting arrogance. What does it matter if you have so-called perfect vision if you're in complete darkness? A lot of people say that. I can read my own Bible. I'm good. Okay, but you're in darkness. What good is having perfect vision if you're in complete darkness? Likewise, what does it matter if you're a capable believer in Christ but remain in darkness regarding some area of your life? That example of submitting to a pastor, let's say. You need the light to see. But remember what Jesus said. Remember what John wrote in John 1. The light came in the world and the world did not comprehend it. The world doesn't like it. The world world despises the light. But that's the one thing we need to be able to see so we don't always end up in the pit. And that's arrogance, the ones who say, nope, I got my own little, you know, they show up with their own little lamplight, you know what I'm saying? No, I'm good. I got my own little lamplight right here. It's Arrogance it takes years sometimes, years to knock that down, especially for people that are coming from religion. We all need to receive and accept the word of truth at face value. Go to Ephesians 5, verse 6. Ephesians 5, verse 6. And so this indignation that some of you are feeling right now, yeah, that's Uncle Jimmy. He's such a stubborn jackass. Right. You gotta love him. He's gonna break your heart over and over and over. But you gotta love him. It's okay to be indignant. Because you do understand that it's an affront to the one who either is trying to save that person or already has and is, you know, being sort of trampled on a little bit. Um, you got to put that aside. It's okay to have indignation about that, but at the end of the day, we're supposed to love. We have to see it all as truth and not fall ourselves, be dragged down. Ephesians 5, 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. You know, wrath of God, some people might call that indignation of God, you know. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. That's kind of what Sunday's message was. Let's not play this game. This game called Christmas nowadays, let's expose it even. Let's expose it. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on right now where people are being moved to expose darkness. And that's a good thing. And someone's going to say, you ready? Someone's going to say, don't judge me. You have no right to judge me. Um, Here are the facts. The facts are wrong. I'm just doing what Ephesians 5.11 says, Do not participate in those things, but even what? Expose them. See, that's not PC in most Christian circles anymore. That's not politically correct, you see. But Paul had no problem calling out people that were defunct in the faith to the point where he would throw people out of the church just so they could experience the emotion of shame. Full-on shame. So that they could be drawn back and recover and repent. That's not judging. That's following what the Word of God says to do. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because... The days are evil. Again, up here on the board, what does it matter if you have so-called perfect vision if you're in complete darkness? Likewise, what does it matter if you're a capable believer in Christ but remain in darkness regarding some area of your life? You need the light to see. It may not always be pleasant, so be it. No partiality. Um, The truth shall set you free. Because truth and light are essentially the same thing. Paul wrote about this. Go to 2 Corinthians 10.3. So you have this sort of attitude now, this, uh, this upswell in your soul, I hope, at this juncture of these lessons where you just sort of want to put your arms around all of this thing. In the Bible, Paul writes about this in a unique way. He calls it taking every thought captive. 2 Corinthians 10.3. In other words, you don't make any room for evil. You want everything to be held captive to Him. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we, Paul and his disciples, walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought, and that word every is there for a reason, not most, not some, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Up here on the board, I give you a, a quote from MacArthur on this. Every thought captive emphasizes the total destruction of the fortresses of human and satanic wisdom and the rescuing of those inside from the damning lies that have enslaved them. That's what it's like. It's like being held captive, being a prisoner of bad thinking. Because that's really what it comes down to. I mean, you live your life based on what's going on, right, up here. And if you're held captive by bad thinking, you need to be rescued. You need to be rescued from that situation. And this right here is what is able to do it. And that's why he has me being a broken record. This is what will do it. Okay, you ready? This is what we will do it. All ready? This is what we will do it. Right? Whatever it takes. You want me to do cartwheels? I'll do cartwheels. It doesn't matter. That's my job. Encourage you. Exhort you. Remind you. You're never going to do this thing you think you're going to do in the absence of truth you're just going to dig a pit for yourself. And if you know better, it's even worse. Cuz he holds those who know better more responsible because you know better. So don't be a hypocrite. Cuz Jesus don't like hypocrites. Don't be pointing your finger at, on Christmas time when you got an elf on the shelf. Just saying. Verse 6. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. So a good portion of the deceitfulness of sin is that we look at things as they are outwardly. That's verse 7, right? You're looking at things as they are outwardly. A good portion of the deceitfulness of sin is that we look at things as they are outwardly. And if we toy with the fleshly thoughts, these fleshly thoughts, for too long, eventually lust gives birth to sin, etc. The Bible teaches us to avoid this process altogether by setting our minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Up here on the board, I'll give you the English Standard Version of Proverbs four thirteen to 15 Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it, and pass on. Look, how many times have you picked up the Bible and said to yourself, you know, I just realized I'm living my life in shambles. I'm doing something I didn't realize I was doing it. This is what gave you clarity. You thought it was good. You thought it was right. Your teachers taught you. Your parents taught you. Your old religion taught you that this thing was right. And then, lo and behold, you pick up the Bible, because you actually listen to a pastor. You pick up the Bible... And lo and behold, your thinking was wrong. The instruction was right. The instruction was right. Why do you think it takes minimal four years to go to school to become a, I don't know, an electrical engineer? I mean, you might be able to go in your shop and wire up a garage, but you're going to be very inefficient with it. You could possibly burn something down. Who knows what you're going to You know I'm getting the point. There's a reason why all that training, it may not make sense to you until someone points it out to you. You can't mix AC with DC. You can't do these things because you're going to blow yourself up. It makes sense to me. Yeah, well, what do you want me to say? It doesn't work like that. There's some weird rules in science, you know what I'm saying? And if somebody doesn't teach you those things, you don't know any better. You need to hold fast to the instruction. It was at this point in our previous study that we arrived at a pair of principles that really drive the passage on the board home. First, from last Tuesday's message, now we're reaching back in time a little bit. The deceitfulness of sin. sin would love you to rationalize any addiction As no big deal. And I'm not talking about addiction like just you know, like drugs or something like that, or alcohol. I'm talking about any addiction that you might have. Some of you are addicted to I don't know, you you know what you're addicted to. Could be a person, even. I don't know. Sin would love you to rationalize any addictions as, you know, no big deal. Second, from last Thursday's message, I gave you this idea of a gateway drug. This is from Google.com, a habit forming drug that while not itself addictive may lead to the use of other addictive drugs. So our analogy went like this. Gateway sin, this idea of, oh, it's not a big deal, you know. Yeah, I guess the Bible doesn't really like me doing this thing. But it's not that big of a deal. So I give myself a free pass. So I put a little elf on the shelf. You know, it's all in good fun. I want my kids to have fun. I want my kids to have good stories too when they go to school. I don't be my, you know, I don't be the kids that didn't have all the so-called fun at Christmas time. Gateway sins. These are the sins that we deem quote quote less important or quote less damaging than the supposed, you know, big sins. <coughs> they comprise all the little sins and tend to remain under the radar, going undetected. Gateway sins are the insidious ones. It's kind of easy, to, it's it's easy to deal with overt things, overt arrogance even, because you can see it, you know? You see it. That's, if you've re- read the book, Covert Arrogance, I use the, um, uh, the uh, Goliath example. You know, he's this giant. And he's opposing God. Don't get much more overt than that, right? Kind of easy to look at him. David says, I'm going to throw a stone hit him right in the head. Kind of easy to hit that. But what happens when it's covert? What happens when it's not a big giant in front of you? When you don't know what you're dealing with? It's not like smack dab in front of you and you know what you're dealing with. Might be a big problem, just saying. But nonetheless, there it is. You can see it. What happens when you can't see it? What happens when it's a little sin that's been eroding you, like we started class with? It's just been eroding you. It's okay. Partiality's cool. It's okay to give family and the person in the mirror a little, you know, free uh, get-out-of-jail passes. It's okay. No one knows. What did we just read in Ephesians 5? We're to expose those things that they do in secret. Even the things that are done in secret. Starting with the mirror, my friends. Why? Because whatever is shown as light, good, bad, or ugly, is good. See it all as truth, because then it's all light. And when it's all light, it's truth, and truth is good, and the truth shall set you, what, free. It's all we're really after at the end of the day, but you know these little gateway sins, these ones we let slip by under the radar, those are the insidious ones. Those are the ones that haunt us, because they furrow deep, 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 in our souls. And they lay little eggs everywhere, you know what I mean? That's what the spirit's after. That's the deceitfulness of sin, because sin doesn't want you to know about those little guys. Sin wants you to just focus on the list, you know, the big Goliath ones. Well there's Goliath number one and Goliath number two and Goliath number three. I don't have any of those in my life. I didn't murder anybody. I didn't. Blah, blah, blah. I'm good. Yeah, but you got 101 insidious little buggers planting seeds everywhere in your life and you're giving it a free pass and it's, and it's completely eroding you from the inside out from right underneath you, your footing is just about ready to be gone. Gateway sins are the insidious ones. I wrote a blog titled it's the little things a couple of weeks ago that drew out many of the principles that have been coming from this pulpit as of late. One of them is up here on the board on the deceitfulness of sin. You are incapable of controlling sin on your own. Sin wants to deceive you of this very truth. It wants you to think that you actually can control it, so you don't cut it off like Jesus said in Matthew 18, 8 and 9. But you haven't, you can't, you never will. You will not win sin. You will not win this battle. You need Him. You need the light of men. You need the Word of God, who is Jesus Christ. You need Him. You need Him. Matthew 18, 9. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into fiery hell. That's where we ended uh, last Thursday. I'm almost out of time, so it's almost. I'm just going to plug on a little bit. we just press on a little bit more in our series, and I'll close. Again, the instigating point up here on the board, sin would love you to rationalize any addiction, and don't just pigeonhole that into the obvious ones. Any addiction has no big deal something you do habitually. Truth, any breach of the law of God is a big deal. Any breach of the law of God is a big deal. When, when one of the parties in the breach is infinitely holy, perfectly holy, any departure from him It's infinitely in the other direction. So any departure is a big deal. But see, sin doesn't want you to think that way. Sin wants you to think like a religious person. Well, this one's here, and this one's here, and this one's here. No, he doesn't want you to think that way, because that's how you stop making excuses. (laughs) Right? That's how you stop making excuses. Well, I'm not that bad. Let me give you another perspective on this. Understanding sin. I think I'll end here. We are incapable of measuring the distance between even the smallest... And you, can, you choose the sin. I'm not going to argue with about it because that's not the point. We are incapable of measuring the distance between even the smallest sin imaginable and the Holy God of the universe the chasm between the two is infinite therefore every sin is a big deal and that's how we have to approach the holy god of the universe every sin's a big deal you know why cuz even the little ones you know the little the little ones that don't really you know it's you know the, the which is equivalent of saying i don't know uh, the thing nowadays is those jewel things you know the kids are smoking Do you know what i'm saying they're smoking these things now that's a gateway because now they're putting like, you know, CBD and like pot, the drugs and pot and all that stuff, in those things. And now the kids are smoking them. But it started off with meaningless, you know, mint-flavored water or whatever the heck is in those stupid things. And then they graduate. Oh, let's try a little of this. Oh, that feels good. Right? Nobody's going to know. Flying under the radar, baby. Nobody's going to know. Get sick of that. What Now what? I need a, I need a little bit. I'm kind of edgy today. I need something a little stronger. Right? All started with what? It's just innocent little, you know, pretends. Maybe it started with one. You know those little gummy cigarettes where you go, and the thing comes out? Maybe it started with that thing. Right? Maybe you started with that thing. And then the kid's like, wow, yeah, you know, I could, you know, I'm already smoking. So I might as well just hit the Juul. I'm already doing a Juul. I might as well hit the bone. What? All right. All right. what, what, how'd that, what happened? Isn't that normally how it happens when we sin? Let's face it. We let something ride for a while. All of a sudden, you ready? All of a sudden, it's normalized. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? I don't know what that was. It was like a burp or an agreement. It was both, right? You agree agreeing, but, I don't know, like Europe. So, it, all of a sudden, it's Normalized. There's a new baseline. Oh, wait a minute. Now we're talking. This is bad business. Because now there's a new baseline. It's normalized. Even though it's separated from God and there's an evil piece to it, it's no longer considered evil because now it's normalized. Now you function on top of that. And you go, well, if this is normal, I can be a little bad. I can be a little naughty. Be a little naughty. Okay, that gets normalized. Now you're twice the distance. And so on and so forth. Next thing you know, you're an addict. You're so stupid. Right? You're so stupid. I am too. But this is what the Spirit's saying. He's like, it's a big deal. Don't let anything in your soul. Go walk on the other side of the... Don't even go on the path. We saw that in Proverbs, right? It says, there's the path. Don't even go on it. Walk in, the, walk in the woods if you have to. Don't even go on it. It's a lot easier, you know, it's a well-worn path. Woods, barbs and, you know, thicket and everything else, whatever's over there, scratches. Hey, this is a nice smooth path I can walk on. Yeah, and it leads to destruction. Oh, I'm just going to walk on it for a little while because I'm a little tired. I need a little hit from my Jew. Right? You know what I'm saying? just walk the path a little bit, (laughs) then you can't get off it. Next thing you know, you're taking more steps and more steps and everything's normalized now and it's a ship of fools because you and your best buddies, you're all on the same path, you're all patting each other on the back. Nobody's paying attention. How did that happen? You took the one step. All it took was one first step. That little, not a big deal, step. That little thing. I got on the path. You know, here's here's rocket science for you. You ready? No no extra charge. If you never even put one foot on it, you can never go in that way. So, what's the Spirit saying? Don't even think about putting one toe on it don't even think about flirting with it you have you are powerless on that road don't even it's the first step do you understand what i'm saying it's the first step that the spirit's saying he's saying you're wise enough now to know better You know where that road, that path leads. And if you never take that one first step, if you do one of those little strategies that your weird pastor says, hey, listen, when when that temptation's hitting you hard and the fiery dots are hitting you hard, pick up your Bible. Anything, open it up anywhere and just start reading. You know what you won't do? You won't put your foot on that path. Even if you're just fundamentally preoccupied with Holy Scripture, you know what you're not doing? You're not getting on that path. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. So You know, smokers say, I feel like smoking, but I quit. Then they get lollipops, right? They go through like 6,000 lollipops in a week. Right? Hey, more power to them. They gain like 78 pounds and they're like, oh my God. But it's better than the thing, you know what I'm saying? If you never take that step, you know what? You never go. That's what the Spirit's saying. So that little small step, if you really think about it, really think about it, full-on cancer started with one mutant cell somewhere. If that cell never mutated, guess what you don't have? You don't die from cancer. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful lesson. Thank you for always teaching us truth because we know that this is what sets us free. We know that you give us such truth because you love us. We love because you first loved us. Thank you, Father, for reminding us of these things and how simple they are. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.